Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded Wednesday, June 10th, 2015, and sponsored by Adam C., one of our Patreon supporters. So thank you very much, Adam, for your contribution and allowing us to continue to do the Game of Crowdfunding interviews. So that's right, I am back with another interview, and we are going to be talking to somebody that has uh, a kickstarter that's just about to end uh and one that's about to begin and we'll talk a little bit about that uh as we go along here but who is joining me on google hangout tonight hey this is uh michael kelly mike to my friends i'm a uh pretty recent uh, game designer i guess it's been about three years now i'm also an english teacher in a high school uh former professional actor amateur musician and a fun guy all around, I guess. <laughs> all right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, I, you already knew one of my warm up questions and you just kind of blew it out of the water right with your intro. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Dissipating. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. So, okay. I haven't done the running joke in a while for this podcast, uh, for these interviews, but the running joke is that I, I, I have like a score on the board here in the Geek Compound. And the two biggest professions in game design, education and programmers, somewhere in the computer realm. Uh, and I've even had several people that are kind of a combination of the two. So you just you just put another tick on the education side of the board. Uh, glad, glad to try to win one from the schools. <laughs> So, yeah, we're going to be talking to Mike here. Uh, actually, maybe I should call you Michael. I, we haven't, we haven't, uh, figured out if we're friends yet, I guess. Yeah, well, I will. <laughs> Hopefully by the end, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll lead up to it. I'll just, I'll drop a letter each time we switch to a new topic or something. Maybe by the time we're done, Mike I get to Mike. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, one of our warm up questions is usually, you know, what do you do for a profession? And, and you've kind of answered that. So let's move on to the other two and then get into this wonderful conversation we're going to have about you entering the realm of game design and of course the Kickstarter experience that you have and are about to have. So yep. with that, the other hard hitting questions that I have, <laughs> you, of course, this is a uh, part of all us geeks. So we like to ask, what makes you a geek, sir? Ah, uh, gosh. What doesn't make me a geek? I mean, I'm sort of into, God, almost everything that I think could be considered a geeky pastime. I mean, I, I play and collect board games, obviously. I, I play role-playing games, usually the Dungeon Master. I play video games, love uh, Fallout and mostly RPGs right now. Read dorky fantasy and sci-fi books all the time. Watch a lot of Star Trek reruns. Uh Oh, I, I named my uh, son, uh, his middle name is Picard, after the greatest uh, <laughs> space captain of all time. My middle name is Derek Wildstar, which is from an old Japanese anime show called Star Blazers, uh, space battleship Yamato in Japan. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm geek through and through, I guess. <laughs> wow, all right. <laughs> that, that is an Sorry, amazing, that, that awesome answer. <laughs> No, not at all. That fits right in. Uh, you, you're in the right place, my friend. You're among friends. Okay. <laughs> uh, and you are obviously among friends. I, I think you're probably a, a very popular guy. Uh, cause you know, usually when we're looking to play, nobody wants to DM. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to DM myself. I, I don't mind running the game, but. Gosh, like all the world building and work in between. I already do enough homework grading papers for my students. I don't know how, how much I enjoy like the uh, dungeon crafting and such part of it. <laughs> so the next question, you know, at All Us Geeks, we always like to say that you can geek out about anything uh, if you have that geek level passion for it. So do you have any geek level passions for something that the typical person would not consider geek related? Yeah, I guess. Um I mean, I play guitar and sing like rock songs and soul songs and do like have done small concerts and things. So I, I certainly geek out to that, but I think that's usually seen as a cool thing by most people. That's probably about it though. I'm not like, I'm not like a fantasy football guy or any of those kind of jock geek, uh, pastimes, <laughs> which I think are sort of like the prototypical like geek thing that is not considered geeky by a lot of society. So yeah, the, the music thing, acting. I mean, I, 
I think that's still kind of seen as a geeky thing. So I don't know if that really helps me out much. Yeah, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the typical person kind of, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if the typical person kind of thinks of those things as geek, geeky. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I guess not. I mean, I'm, I'm about to direct, uh, for the summer while I'm off. I'm directing some middle school kids in a production of The Little Mermaid. So God, there has to be something geeky in that, right? <laughs> just dig for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you kind of use one of the prime examples that we use if somebody's really kind of struggling to understand what we're asking for. And that's people in fantasy football. I mean, I, I know a guy from back in the day who was a coworker of mine that no matter what we were talking about, no matter what time of year, uh, it could be work related. It could be anything. It could be, you could be, you could be doing accounting. Uh, whatever. And no matter what, by three sentences in, it's somehow back to fo- football and fantasy football. So that is a man that has a very geek level passion for something that people don't necessarily consider geek related. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I've never fallen into that trap. I'll, I'll watch sports, but, uh, I don't, I don't crunch the spreadsheets and that kind of thing. <laughs> How young did you get into say like music and, and acting? Let's see. Uh, Music, my, uh, my dad actually was a, uh, as like a side gig, he was a Irish, uh, guitar player and singer in like Irish pubs and stuff around the area. So I was in there watching him from, I guess when I was a baby with my mom. And as I got older, he would bring me up on stage pretty often and have me like kind of sing along with him. Just give me an extra microphone. So I was singing pretty early on. I got into like children's choruses and that kind of thing. The theater came later. I tried out a few different activities in high school. None of them really gelled with me. So then I guess junior year, I tried out for the musical. I was already in the chorus in the high school there. So it kind of came out of the singing thing that I started uh, acting. And then I majored as a theater major in college, did all the lead roles, did the acting thing for a while. And then actually, even the teaching came from acting because uh, I was... To make ends meet, I was, cause if you don't know, it's hard to survive as an actor. <laughs> uh, to make ends meet, I was running, uh, theater camps and like doing theater workshops around some schools. And at some point I was like, wow, there's a way more consistent and better paying gig than the acting part of it. So I just switched over pretty much completely. And then as for guitar playing, that kind of came later, just, you know, to meet girls. Why, why does anybody ever play guitar except to meet girls, you know? <laughs> When did you kind of switch from, I mean, maybe you have it, maybe you still do it, but like the theater camps and all that stuff to being a full-fledged like English teacher? No, man, that was kind of an odyssey. Uh, so I guess that was, I guess it was like 10 years ago, nine or 10 years ago. I decided I wanted to make a full go of the teaching thing. So I had to go back to school because like I said, I was a theater major. Luckily, this is probably not great for uh, <laughs> the condition of our schools in America, but luckily you don't actually need very many credits in the school system I work in, like within your content area to teach it. So I think I needed like something like five English classes total from college to be an English teacher. You know, figure that one out. <laughs> so so I had already taken a bunch of English classes as a theater major. I, I just had to get a few more. And then I went into this intensive... uh three-month program at a community college to get the teaching certification. I did student teaching for like a month. I mean, God, I, I must have been the worst teacher ever my first year. The, the preparation I had was the most like slapdash thrown together crap you could imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, look at it, like teach my kids a different language than English or have them forget how to write. But yes, yeah, so, so I, I had to go back to school and, and now I've got my master's in, uh, in education. So I'm kind of a more full-fledged real teacher in my own mind. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of going back to school and pretty big transition for a while. But hey, it got me out of my parents' basement. So that, that was certainly <laughs> worth it. Okay. But like mentally, I mean, what made you decide to become an English oh. teacher? Huh. I guess, uh, there were a few different parts. Uh, number one, I, I, I've kind of, I've kind of always been a romantic and I've, I've sort of, you know, obsessed with the idea of finding one girl and settling down for a large portion of my life. Too many, uh, romantic comedies, I guess. As a kid. Um, so, you know, w- with the, the lack of security in acting, like you might have a job for a month and then have nothing for six months and the, the low pay in general, or a lot of it is free, like community theater. I didn't really see that as a path that would let me have a family, you know, and take care of them, provide. So that was definitely part of it. And then, um, also I guess, I guess teaching, 
teaching the uh the kids in the theater workshops it made me feel like i was helping others and making a difference in the lives of others to an extent whereas as you can imagine acting is fairly self-centered I mean, yes, you are like performing for an audience, but it's kind of all to get the applause for the audience and to make them think you're so great. Well, maybe it's not supposed to be that way, but that's the way I thought of it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it was I guess if I think about it, it was, it was pretty altruistic in general, you know, like wanted to help others instead of helping myself and wanted to have a family instead of just being alone. So, yeah, so that's that's I guess what pushed me in there. We're getting serious early here, Jeff. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, I, I got to drop some letters off, Michael. Oh, yeah, Micah? There you go. Right. Micah. <laughs> yeah, you should drop the H first, then it's still Michael, but it's, you know, more uh, Russian or something. <laughs> cool. Okay. So you've said it's been roughly about 10 years that you've been kind of doing the English teaching. Yeah, that's it. Okay. So the next transition, <laughs> what made you go from. I mean, obviously you're still a teacher and stuff, but what, where can you point to a moment where you decided, you know what? I, I need to design games and, and I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I can point to a few moments, but it was definitely a, a process, you know? So I, I'll walk you through the tangled web. <laughs> so I've been going to one local uh, game store, you know, brick and mortar store. And the guys there irritated me. I won't name any names, but they were sort of like the worst snooty board game geek stereotype you can kind of imagine. So I, I wanted to find another store. I found one that was a little bit farther away, but still fairly close. So I went there and uh, I guess this was probably six years ago, I'd like to say, five or six years ago. And at that time I was playing, I don't know if you ever heard of this game, uh, Battleground Fantasy Warfare. Mm-hmm. By Chad Ellis, I think it's like a miniature game, but with cards for everything instead of the miniatures. Um, but you still like measure, so it's not like Summoner Wars where it's all on a grid. But yeah, so so I was buying a pack, and like these four guys saw me. You know, it sounds like a like after school special or something. You know, like getting indoctrinated to the gang. They're like, "Hey, you play a uh, battleground? We're like doing a league. You want to join?" So sure, you know, I didn't have anybody to play with much at that point. So I joined their like league and we would meet, uh, you know, every week or so and play a few games each time we met. And, uh, most of the time it was at this guy Peter's house, uh, Peter Gusis, who at this point is my co-designer to kind of ruin the story a little bit. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> so, um, we, we were just playing for a while. Like it was definitely a, a play game group, but Peter sort of, I guess with his wife at first had been working on this game that was like, uh, Sort of Spartacus style, uh, before Spartacus was out, of course, gladiatorial, like combat game. And I was the only person that seemed to give enough of a crap about it to like spend any time playing it with him and giving him ideas about how to improve it. So I guess I sort of became like his lead play tester. And at some point the game like morphed completely to being like a defend your town, uh, kind of thing, uh, sort of like castle panic ish instead of, uh, the gladiatorial part. And I contributed so many like ideas that he was like, Hey, you're not really a playtester anymore. You just want to say that you're like the co-designer on this. And I was like, well, sure. So I sort of like accidentally became a designer on a game, which was our first design. Peter and I were, we were MVP board games, the last bastion, which was almost picked up twice and is now uh, languishing while we pursue other projects. <laughs> At that point, we, we kind of only worked on that for probably two years, like didn't really branch off much. And at some point I got bored and kind of threw some other ideas together. And that became uh, Salvation Road, which uh, is finishing Kickstarter in, I guess, like three or four hours at this point. And then Peter came up with a dragon game. And then uh, we got Dark Dealings, which we're going to talk about later. Um, we're actually working on a game with Richard Launius right now. That's uh, sort of an offshoot of Defenders of the Realm a little bit, but I don't want to get into that too much until things are finalized. Yeah, so, so it kind of exploded at that point, like after that initial idea and kind of only working on one game exclusively for a while, but it was all accidental. It was just, it just started with wanting to play games because I didn't have enough game buddies and being at a brick and mortar store at the right time. So yeah, that's the, uh, <laughs> that's the fun little journey I took. And I always like to kind of know, I mean, you sat down and you kind of started playing this game and, and offering feedback and stuff. And, kind of eased into game design, if you will. Right. But is there a switch moment that was like, okay, uh, I'm going to be serious about this. I'm going to 
almost kind of the moment where you kind of go from the casual game, not casual gamer, but gamer, you know, where it's all fun and games and, and every gamer dreams about, I'm going to make my own game. I'm going to run my own store, that kind of stuff into, you know what? I, I am going to do this and it, it's going to be kind of, uh, on the not only design, but business side of gaming as well. Hmm. I mean, the truth is that Peter kind of branched into the business side first. His job is not in education or, uh, What's the other one programming? He's yeah. um, actually a pharmaceutical representative, so he's kind of doing marketing and business all day long. Yeah, at some point when Blast Bastion was feeling pretty good, we started. Uh, he started emailing uh, some of the smaller game companies and stuff. So I guess, I mean, the switch moment for me going into business is when we attended uh, the unpublished uh, games, the unpub convention the first time. I guess it was the uh, third year of unpub that we went to first, if I remember correctly. So that was a big switch for me because at that point it had just been playing the game kind of for us, enjoying ourselves, maybe showing it to some of our friends. And suddenly I was actively like selling it, you know, like talking about it in exuberant terms with way too much energy and trying to, you know, walk over to publishers and beg them to play it in, you know, the, the most ingratiating way I could. So yeah, d- d- definitely. I mean, I became serious about the design before that, but that's the point where I really felt like I was part of something that would actually become a product one day. So kind of branching into that business side, I guess you'd say. You mentioned something that I want to make sure I come back to and talk about, but uh, before that, <laughs> this is this is all happening in my head while we're talking. I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to structure how I, the questions that come up and what order to try to ask them. It. Uh, I'm very impressed. I, I used to teach <laughs> improv uh, comedy as part of my theater stuff, and you're you're improvising quite well. <laughs> Where does MVP Games come into the mix? When does that kind of start forming? <laughs> Basically. Uh, our first game that was signed like with a contract. It's like I said, we had a uh, last bastion fall through a couple times, almost like at the contract phase. The first game that was signed was salvation road with, uh, AJ Porfirio of van rider games. And pretty much he was like, Hey, for us to have a contract, you have to have an LLC. You have to have a corporation. <laughs> Peter and I were like, Oh, and, uh, Vanessa, my wife, is not technically like part of the company, but she did do all the design and art for Salvation Road. Nice. So we were like, hey, our names start with M, V, and P. And that is a sports thing that I know something about because I'm not a big sports geek. So MVP board games. That's genius. And we just kind of, you know, Peter filled out all the paperwork and we just threw it together and she made a logo and uh, <laughs> we were off. But, you know, it was totally just by necessity. Like we weren't like, ooh, I, well, I, you know what? Maybe I'm lying. Maybe Peter made swanky business cards before we went to Unpub. I think he did. So like the LLC stuff came later, but at some point it was, it was all prompted by him. Again, he's the business and marketing expert. He was like, we need business cards. Let's make a logo. And we just ran with it. And you brought it up again, which made sure I, uh, I remember to talk about it. Unpub. Uh, I always like to, I'm a big proponent of proto spiels, uh, because I've gone to those, but I'm also right there with unpubs. I mean, they're to me invaluable. So how was that experience for you going in your first time? Oh man, it was, uh, it was amazing. The first time it was at a smaller location. The most recent one we went to where we sold uh dark dealings was, uh, was in like, uh, the main convention center of Baltimore, Maryland. So it was much bigger. So the first one, um, there were very few play testers cause it was like out in the middle of nowhere, of Delaware and, you know, Delaware is a great state, but not necessarily the most exciting for things going on. Uh, <laughs> no offense to any Delaware listeners out there. The cool thing about that one was that we were talking to designers and playing with designers the entire time because like nobody had anybody else to play test their game. So it's like, hey, you play my game and I'll play your game, you know, and that was like the whole thing the whole time pretty much. And it was just great. Like I've, I've, I've never had an experience that probably helped me to improve as a designer so much. Just getting all these perspectives, seeing all the different kind of ideas people were coming up with games, half developed, barely even like thought about fully developed. And the playtesters that were there were amazing too. Like really passionate, really willing to give you feedback, you know, cause the problem when you play with your family and friends is they're often like, Oh, the game's perfect. And that's useless. <laughs> 
Now, the, the, the weird part about Unpub was talking to the publishers. That was incredibly uh, nerve wracking for me, at least. Peter was probably a little better with it since he's walking into potentially unfriendly offices all day long. But, you know, I, I have my acting to fall back on. I, I basically just I'll, I'll say this for anybody who's thinking about trying to get a game. You have to put yourself out there like the only reason that we got Salvation Road, we we are having dark dealings going Kickstarter is because like Peter and I went up to publishers and said, hey, great to meet you. Please come play my game later. And, you know, a lot of times you'll see kind of, I've seen this at Unpub, you'll see some designers just kind of sitting at their table and hoping somebody comes by. And you definitely had to have to be more proactive than that. If we had not actively sought out people to sell the game to, we would not be where we are right now. Yeah. So what I'm kind of getting from that, again, I haven't gone to an Unpub. I would love to go to an Unpub, but more localized to me is Protospiel. And mm-hmm. we're actually, myself and, uh, Matt Warden from Matt Warden Games are looking at putting together a protospiel for Minnesota. Oh, cool. What I'm kind of getting from this a little bit though is like, un- and, and what I've maybe kind of got from other people. So now that I have you on and talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, but Unpub seems like you're at this point, especially, uh, maybe you're a little closer to finished with your game and you're seeking publication. It depends. I, I, I don't mean to imply that every designer there is doing that. A, a lot of people are definitely there just to get great feedback and help to improve their game. We we do a lot of playtesting in-house, like uh, for uh, Salvation Road, even without the publisher, like we had set up, I think, six blind playtesting groups and stuff. So our games are f- pretty far along. Of course, the publisher helps us make them even better. But we generally, when we by the time we get to unpub with a game, we're pretty happy with where it is. But at this year's unpub, we had dark dealings there to sell, even though it changed like radically, which I'll talk about later before we actually got it sold. But then we had another game called Six Avenue that was like barely even figured out yet. We were just playing with people and having them tell us why it was terrible. And, you know, but so now, I mean, I, th- I think most people there, most people there probably have one game that they think they might be trying to sell, but they'll have like three or four other designs that is trying to get some feedback on and get people to try out. So, it, it, yeah, I, I don't think it, it's definitely not like a selling to publishers thing exclusively. Okay. Many people are there for that, but not everybody. All right. Because for my protospiel experiences, and I've gone to many of them as strictly a playtester, and this last one I went uh, with a design that I've been working on uh, and because I was told I better bring it or somebody was going <laughs> to make, make it on the spot if I didn't bring it. <laughs> but my experiences have kind of been, uh, you know, it's, it's very casual, very low-key, and it's primarily designers. Now, playtesters get a discount if they come, but it's primarily designers. Yeah. So that that first feel you were talking about is what I get pretty much every time I go to Protospiel. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, that, that was definitely the best part of the first Unpub, without question. Yeah, because it's you're pretty much sitting with designers taking turns at tables and playing everything from something that might be coming out on Kickstarter here very shortly all the way to, hey, um, give me a couple minutes. I'm still drawing a couple cards up for this game <laughs> I thought of this morning. And uh, right. it's just an amazing experience. And I always walk away with it like I have an amazing time the entire weekend, but I take like this designer high for at least like two weeks after, you know, <laughs> I, I, sure, got- no, totally like I, I think I think Peter and I do our best work in like, well, for dark dealings, I did my best work up till 3 a.m. each night of Unpub because again, I'm, I'm sort of jumping ahead, but uh, I basically like redesigned the game each night to <laughs> reflect the feedback I'd gotten until it was almost an entirely different game by the end of the weekend. But yeah, the designer high, I totally feel you on that. It's, it's pretty amazing. So you mentioned AJ, obviously you got Salvation Road that's finishing up right now. Uh, so you, you've got, uh, the Van Ryder game saying, uh, Dark Dealings is going to be with Nevermore. Yep. Nevermore who did, uh, Chicken Caesar, Marzine's yep. Mechanic. And you talked about you're working with Richard Lanius. So I've had AJ on. I've had Richard on. So for a designer that hasn't been in this very long by your own admission and is kind of coming to this through a, a friend and, and kind of, like I said, eased into the design transition, you are working with some amazing people. It's got to feel good. It feels great. And I mean, it's 
it's luck and just putting myself out there. I, I, I wouldn't take much credit for it myself. And it, it's, it's a great co-designer, Peter, who's awesome at marketing and talking to people. And R- Richard Lanius, I mean, he's, he's a awesome designer and a great guy. He just, uh, came over and played some of our games at Unpub and we hit it off. So things kind of fell together. And, you know, again, that, that's, that game's not all like finished or definite yet. I don't want to put a, right. put anything out there for sure yet, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's definitely been a fantastic process. And AJ, that, that was just luck. Chris from Dice Hate Me Games was going to play, uh, Salvation Road and he grabbed AJ. He thought it'd be a game he would like. So that was a huge assist from Dice Hate Me, like just kind of a random <laughs> bringing a friend along to check out the game. Nevermore, the only reason we're working with them for Dark Dealings is because they were looking at Last Bastion until that fell through. So like the first project totally didn't work out. But then, uh, you know, if, if you stay friendly and then keep professional with people and keep them in mind, things can come later. So, so it's all just been luck and timing and being friendly to people. That, that's that's what got us I, I guess we're doing well. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you're doing amazing. Cause like I said, that is a, a good group of people to kind of be working with. And, uh, yeah. I, I mean, and I know you don't want to talk about the Richard Lanius project too much cause it's still in the works, but I just wanted to kind of point that out. Cause Richard is an amazing guy. I mean, it, he's so great, man. And it, it's fun. <laughs> um, again, the dark dealings thing coming later. Like he sat down and played the first build of dark dealings. And like in five minutes, he was like, Hey, why don't you do this, 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 and this? And I'm like, Oh, that game is a thousand times better. And like, <laughs> I definitely give him a lot of credit for pushing me in, uh, in the direction that, that took the game to where it is now. Yeah. And, and that's not the first, I guess, you know, story that I've heard about encounters with Richard Lanius and getting their game. Yeah. He's, he's like, he's like some like magical, like field of dreams type of guy. He just walks <laughs> in the wheat, you know, and fixes your game and then vanishes again. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta, I gotta re, I haven't had him on for a long time. I need to talk to him again. He's such an amazing guy. Um, yeah, he's cool. All right. So let's see. Um, couple things and I don't know if I'll get to both of them because I definitely want to make the switch over and talk more specifically about dark dealings. Sure. But the one thing that I seem to get from you, um, and I mean, you, you have a, a partner. So it seems like you work a lot in the collaboration space. Yes. Our general, just to give you a quick, because people have asked about this, our general operational like method is that one of us will uh, kind of lay down the basics of a game enough to where you can play it. And then uh, the other person will jump in and like change things and try things out and like try their own ideas at home. But whoever that initial kind of creator, they're like the lead designer. So I was the lead designer for Salvation Road because I did the initial build and they kind of always have the veto power. Like, hey, we're going to do it this way because I'm the lead designer. And that's worked out really well for us, like us kind of trading who's the lead designer on each game because it takes away sort of the possibility of a major fight because one of us always has kind of the last say, um, but still gives us a chance to really collaborate like well. So it's definitely, I don't know if too many people are doing that, but it's worked amazingly well for us. Well, it just seems like you've kind of always been in that space. So you are probably very comfortable in it because that's where you kind of started, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've never been like by myself, like obsessed with a game and wanting to show it to everybody. Like it's always been a, a team effort. And you also mentioned earlier that you guys do a lot of playtesting in house. I always love to know people's process for playtesting. So what what do you guys do to play test and maybe wrap towards the end with, do you have like a litmus test? It's like, okay, this game is done. Time to either shop it or put it up on Kickstarter. Sure. Um, so the first question about play testing, um, I, I, we use a lot of different people. Like we have, uh, friends who are gamers. We have people who have liked our games in the past. We have like our own mailing list. We can ask people to help play test there. And then I also have used uh, some of my students and uh, colleagues with kids because most of our games, they're not simplistic, but we want them to be streamlined and accessible enough that uh, a teenager or even like a 11-year-old or 10-year-old could play them. So like our blind playtest groups for Salvation Road, for example, we had one group that was just uh, like 16-year-olds. But yeah, so first with our closest people, we just playtest the game. And I mean, the litmus is... Do we have a ton of fun? And, you know, MVP board games kind of tagline is, uh, I forget the exact way we put it, but it's, uh, it's, it's great theme, but streamlined mechanics. 
not necessarily like Euro, but just things that are as quick and to the, you know, to the point as possible. We, we try to keep all our games kind of in that hour and a half or even down to half an hour kind of sweet spot, but still being thematic, which, you know, is a little unusual because most thematic games are pushing two hours, if not more. So yeah, so, so when we've, we've got it to a state where it plays quickly, it's smooth, it's logical, things make sense, and we're having a great time with it. Then we pass it on to our closest play testers, see how they enjoy it. If they're enjoying it too, that's a good sign. And then, um, the blind play testing, that's true blind play testing. We just give, uh, these other groups the rules. They've never played the game before. And usually what we'll do is we'll actually go and watch them play it and take notes on the rules they get wrong, the things they misinterpret so that we're not kind of misleading them. Cause you know, I mean, you, you've seen some recent games on Kickstarter that, came out and like all the play tests went great, but that's because the designers were there teaching the game. And then when people try to figure out the rules, they make no sense. We strive to make sure everything like really works well. And then if, you know, if they're enjoying the game and they understand it and they can play it in a decent time frame, then that's when we're probably going to start shopping it to people. I, I've always been a big proponent of, and I, I never understand people that don't, that don't put blind play testing in their process. It, it just seems like. Well, like I said, I, I know some people that say, you know what, that's the, that's going to be the publisher's deal. I, I don't have to do it because the publisher will do that or something like that. But I always kind of say you should never make or design a game that needs the designer in the box to play it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and no, the, I'm totally with you. Yeah. And the biggest way you make sure that doesn't happen is don't be there when people play it and get feedback on that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I would, I would love to never have a game that needs to have like a second edition of the rule book, you know, just because we screwed up that much, you know, like I understand that happens and some great games have had that happen, but I don't want to ever put something out that feels like we rushed it to Kickstarter, you know, like we, we didn't really have the game was 30% done and we were just kind of figuring it out as we went along while we crowdfunded it. That's not the way that we want to run things with uh, our company. One more question and then we're going to switch over to dark dealings. Sure. You've got and formed the company and you've primarily formed that it sounded like because you needed to for contract negotiations. Sure. And obviously you guys are shopping a lot of games. So it, have, have you guys ever thought of or do you see in your future where you guys kind of do self publishing and go the Kickstarter route yourself? Yeah. We, we've totally thought about it. Like if Salvation Road had fallen through, we might have tried to publish that ourselves, although it's way better with AJ. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, Last Bastion, since that's fallen through twice, we've thought about publishing that. Dark Dealing, since it's, it's, it's a pretty small card game, we thought would have been like maybe the one we would try out just because, uh, on like the printing and shipping side, it would have been the easiest one. But again, it's like a hundred times better with Nevermore. They, they got, uh, Rob Lundy doing the art and it looks amazing. Like they've done really cool stuff with it. So, yeah, I mean, every time we've thought about self-publishing, we've seen how much better it is with a publisher who's more experienced than us. So it, it might happen someday. But at this point, it's like, man, it's, they do this way better than we do. Why, why would we try to <laughs> to take take their jobs for them, you know? All right. So like we said, Salvation Road is pretty much going to be done and over by the time this gets out. Uh, yeah. Since we're in the hour mark now while we're recording. Yeah. But you do have your next project coming up, which we were just kind of discussing a little bit, Dark Dealings. So why don't you give us the elevator pitch for Dark Dealings? All right. Dark Dealings is a very fast uh, card game, uh, fun. Basically, you are a evil overlord, sort of a, going back to old video games, Dungeon Keeper style. And uh, you've been, you know experimenting on sheep and poisoning water supplies and that kind of stuff. So finally, the uh, villagers have had it, and they have hired these heroes to come and kick you out of your evil castle and get you out of their area. Um, so it's a one to six player game, about 20 to 30 minutes. And it, yeah, you can play solo, by the way. Basically, uh, there's three phases. In the first phase, you use illusions and do a little drafting mechanic to uh, figure out which heroes are going to attack you and which ones are going to attack your, the other players. Uh, the second phase, you actually show the heroes that you have drafted and uh, use them in a sort of for sale-ish bidding mechanic to get defenses that will fight them off. And then the third phase is the combat phase where players uh, fight heroes one at a time and uh, it's last man standing. So you try to last as long as you can. So it's, it's almost uh, the way I describe it to some people. It's kind of like a tower defense video game in very fast card form. 
because you're getting these defenses and trying to match them to the vulnerabilities and uh, weaknesses of the heroes attacking you. And you're trying to keep them away from your base as long as possible, basically. Yeah, it sounds like a, a very quick, very uh, light, almost Dungeon Lords kind of uh, yeah, um, yeah. I, I love Dungeon Lords. Vlada Travadal is my favorite designer, pretty much bar none. I mean, it's it's all card based, and it's the, the mechanics are completely different. But thematically, yes, I, I will definitely say that Dungeon Lords was uh, certainly an inspiration for it. All right. So the big question I already had before we even started recording, and then you just kind of popped it back there for sure, was I noticed, uh, like you said, it goes one to six players. So in a solo game, how does auction bidding working (laughs) (laughs) you know it's it's it's, i kind of figured it out and it's it's super simple um i'm sure somebody's done it before i've just never seen it so the basic idea is that the stronger a hero is that is going to attack you the higher his challenge value is and that's kind of like what your bidding currency is for getting the defenses which uh makes the drafting phase fun because you know you can try to get really strong heroes which gives you great bidding power but then you're going to be totally jacked when they attack you <laughs> or you can go for super easy to kill heroes then you're going to get the worst defenses no matter what so the basic idea is you in a game no matter whether you're playing one or six players or anything in between you pick two heroes and there's twice the number of players uh defense cards out and then you reveal them all at the same time, and highest uh, valued hero gets to pick first defense card, then second picks the next defense card. So basically, the better the hero you play, the better choice of defense cards you get. So the solo thing works super easy. Um, you play your two heroes, and then you just flip some random heroes from on top of the deck, and that represents the other players bidding against you. And uh, all the defenses are ranked in terms of their general strength in comparison to one another. So, uh, of course, the AI takes the best defense they can every time that their hero is higher than yours. So you get, you know, it's a bit more random and you have different difficulty levels to kind of even out the uh, the randomness of the hero draws in the solo game. But, um, yes, yeah, so, so you get sort of the idea of somebody bidding against you, but without anybody actually there. So it goes one to six players. Uh, roughly how long will a, a game take? Uh, so... Solo, you can crank out in probably 10 or 15. It's very fast. I, I would put it on like the same level as Friday, which is one of my favorite, uh, card solo games. Uh, multiplayer with, uh, especially with experienced players, uh, 20 to 30 minutes. And I don't think you'd ever really go over 30 minutes with the game. It's, it's pretty fast. Awesome. You know, you mentioned earlier that Dark Dealings has changed drastically. <laughs> yes. So how did Dark Dealings start out? So. The original idea I had was, um, first of all, it was uh, in space. It was sci-fi themed. I forget what I had been watching, maybe like Guardians of the Galaxy or something. And uh, I was thinking, man, you know, it's... I, and I, I think I'd watched the movie Brazil, the Terry Gilliam movie, <laughs> um, which is all about like the horrific bureaucracy in like this post-apocalyptic uh, dystopian uh, uh, society. I was like, huh, you know, it'd be kind of funny if there were space stations and like sort of zergling slash gene stealer style like aliens were invading them and the owners of the space stations wanted to like save themselves but what if the bureaucracy was so horrible and the red tape was so horrible they had to like bribe people to get the weapons they needed to save themselves so that was like the initial impetus and originally it was like a board and you actually were like placing weapons down there and kind of like fighting them off which didn't work at all, <laughs> but you know, it's kind of a cool concept. So eventually I switched it to just being cards, but it was still aliens. It was still, uh, like the weapons are much more interesting now, but back then the defenses, they were like lasers, flamethrowers and machine guns, I guess, like mass drivers. And it was, uh, it actually used the for sale money auction mechanic where you have to outbid the person before you. And once you drop out, you get the worst card remaining. So that's how it worked for a while, and you had money, and it was like an hour-long game, and the only part that was really great was the combat. Like, that was super fun, super tense, like, really exciting, because you were still flipping up one guy at a time, and your defenses were slowly dwindling, and you had no idea if you would survive long enough, and pretty much everyone would die, you just wanted to be the last one left. So that part worked great, and that's basically what everybody told me when we switched to fantasy. I never remember why. I think some other game was coming out with a sci-fi theme that was like kind of like a tower defense, 
but I mean, not, not really the same, but like it made, made us a little bit worried. So we, I was like, I love dungeon lords and I love dungeon keeper. Let's make it all on those lines, <laughs> which made it a billion times better. Cause all the powers that had made no sense before. And I was like, this is a alien with uh, this power that, that makes no thematic sense at all. <laughs> Suddenly everything kind of clicked into place. We had a way easier time coming up with abilities and stuff. And, uh, the defenses became much more interesting because they became, uh, magic spells, traps, and monsters instead of just three varieties of guns that all look the same. So the theme worked way better, but then at Unpub, uh, playing with both Richard Launius and with uh, the Nevermore guys, the consensus was the money served no point and was boring and took too long. Uh, the way that the defenses were auctioned off didn't really work very well either. So um, I went home and tried to throw something else together and it still didn't quite work. And then I sat down, you know, you were talking about the amazing, uh, working with designers. It's protospiels. Uh, I sat down with, uh, I think Paul Owen and, uh, I'm forgetting names. Well, I'll, I'll send a shout out to him on the Kickstarter. Um, and they, they helped me to figure out like a much better way to do like the drafting of heroes and, uh, and we figured out some ways to make the bidding more interesting. The combat never changed. The combat was always awesome. But the rest of the game, like, switched up drastically. So first of all, it was a, it was a more streamlined game. It's just two 54-card decks instead of, uh, like, money and tokens and a board and all this crap that I had in it before that did nothing but make it take longer. Uh, the playtime shrunk in half. The decisions somehow, like, doubled or tripled even though the playtime shrunk in half. I don't quite know how that happened. It was some kind of like quantum singularity. But basically, I, I credit Unpub and Launius, uh, Nevermore, those other designers, um, with kind of changing the game into the awesome one that I, I think it is. I'm, I'm biased, of course, but uh, <laughs> but it's pretty great. So how was it then? I mean, you, you talked a little bit about it earlier when we were talking about Unpub, but were you kind of in that designer euphoria that we were talking about before, or were you kind of stressing when you were doing the 3 a.m. changing the game so that the next yeah. morning you can show it with new revisions kind of thing? I mean, it was it was totally both. If I hadn't had the euphoria, I would not have stayed up until 3 a.m. <laughs> like, basically, uh, Nevermore, since we'd worked with them before, had s- sort of said they were they were interested in the concept, you know, just from the description we had sent them, the elevator pitch. So, so they said, you know, it's totally fine. Like they were like, oh, the game seems fun. You know, why don't you work on it and show it to us again in like a few more weeks? But I was like, man, I got all these great ideas. Richard Launius is the man. I'm going to fix this now. So I, I didn't know it would take until 3 a.m. You know, like I, <laughs> I redid all the graphic design, redid all the cards, all the values, like changed freaking everything, you know, and, and, uh, I came back and I was like, oh, this is almost there. But, you know, Paul Owen's like, nah, I'll do this. And I was like, all right. So then I went home. So yeah, it was, it was two, three slash four a.m. nights in a row, Friday night and Saturday night. And I came in Sunday. Oh, and I, I was like writing on the cards as I was playing them during the day. It's like, okay, never mind. I'm going to try this. This, this doesn't work. I'm going to do this now. So, so we came in Sunday and like this, the third revision in, in as many days. And, uh, it just worked. It was, it was great. Like they were like, yeah, that's pretty much perfect. We'll keep that. And, you know, at, <laughs> except for a few minor changes, um, to like sort of the order of how things work and like how ties are worked out, the games basically stayed the same since then. We've just added cooler powers in and stuff. So since you've primarily had deals with publishers and stuff, how actively involved are you in the, process once they've kind of taken it so far with salvation road we were super involved and aj was awesome with that like he uh he gave us great ideas and he helped us figure things out but when whenever we were like man we really want it to be this way he'd be like that's fine which I, I, i'm guessing is probably unusual for a publisher but he was really amazing with like letting us keep our uh our creative license there nevermore has been awesome also like brian uh Oh, I, I should clarify, by the way, that uh, Dark Dealings was a simple enough game that it's just credited as my design. Peter's like, I think, the lead developer, we're calling him, on it. Whereas everything else we designed is is a co-design. See, so, yeah, I mean, it, it works so quickly. It, it's it's such a pretty straightforward game. But they've every time they've like had any idea or wanted to change anything, he's always sent me an email, got my opinion first. We've had like tons of uh, hangout calls to work things out. So they've all been great. I mean. Maybe there are publishers who aren't like that, but at this point, I think publishers are the best guys and girls in the world, you know, because <laughs> I've had such good experiences with uh, the two that I've worked with. How many cards are we talking about for Dark Dealings? In the base set, we are offering some uh, foil packs, both in uh, 
I think we're going to have like a, a base level pledge and a deluxe level pledge. And then we're going to have some stretch goals. Hopefully we'll get there. So the base game is, uh, the equivalent of two poker decks, uh, 108 cards, two 54 card decks, one for the heroes and one for the defenses. So this is launching very soon. So do you have a, a launch date that you guys are set on or? Yeah. yeah. We're, uh, like the Kickstarter page is already, uh, pretty much finished um we're launching this friday so probably people will be hearing this after we've launched and they can go right to it yeah friday at 9 or 10 a.m but again i'm i'm, I'm sure by by the time you guys hear this you'll already be able to see it <laughs> yeah, so uh so we're talking this should launch friday june 12th 2015 yep. uh i always like to throw dates in because you're yeah, no, no, for <laughs> uh, for when, and I'm assuming, I mean, the standard kind of running roughly 30 days. You know, I'm actually not sure about that. With Salvation Row, we definitely found that the 30 days was pretty long with kind of the, uh, the dull drums in the middle. But yeah, that, that, that's, that's one thing I've not been involved in decision on, but okay. I trust Nevermore. Whether it's 30 days or 21 or whatever, I'm sure it'll be fine. So again, Friday, June 12th, 2015, it'll be launched. And of course, when I get this out, it'll probably already be launched. Well, it will be already be launched. But as always, people listening, it will be in the show notes. There will be a link to the project in the show notes. So if you're not sure, again, you can go search Dark Dealings uh, at the time and find it. Or you can hit our show notes from listening to this and click over from there. I always like to ask this. And since we're getting close to the end of our time, uh, I want to give you a chance to answer this question. Ready? Yes. Okay. Somebody's listening to our interview and they've like what they've heard so far. So they decided they want to go check out the Kickstarter page. Uh, they switch over and they're looking at it and they're like, I might be interested in this, but they're kind of on the fence. So do you have a couple things that you would tell them about dark dealings to make them go, you know what, Mike, you're absolutely right. I have to back this right now. Sure. Um, I'll just go through each of the phases because they each have uh, each of the three phases has stuff that I think is great. So, uh, like I already said in the draft phase, uh, the best heroes for bidding are the absolute most monstrous to defeat. So you have this constant tension of do I go for like the really easy guys or the really hard guys? What's the correct uh, mix of that? And each hero is vulnerable to one or two or three of the different defense types. So you have super hard decisions there, but it moves lightning quick because it's just a draft. The second phase is probably the most fun, quick bidding I've had. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's not, it's not even necessarily bidding because you each uh, select your heroes at the same time. So you're trying to one up each other just by like the smallest amount possible. And you get to play the spread of the defenses because you might have like one defense that's amazing and just what you need to defeat that thief that's going to sneak through. And, you know, the other ones are terrible and you want to bid somebody really high, but then everybody else bid like their lowest hero possible and you wasted your big guy. So lots of fun, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yelling at each other and that kind of stuff in that phase. And then the combat phase is just, I mean, Peter was just playing with it, uh, some people at Origins, uh, with it and they all loved it. We didn't have a single bad play test. And, uh, he said that people would, would literally groan every time they turned over a hero, like, Oh man, this guy. Oh God, <laughs> that guy. Um, so I think that's a good side by itself that, uh, there's just so much tension. Like I haven't seen anybody play the, uh, the final phase where they're fighting off the heroes and, and not just groan and shout and clap, you know, and, and have a great time with it. And you can play it solo. I mean, it, I, I try to make all of our designs have a solo component because I'm a big solo player myself. And I, like you said, I don't think that I know of there's ever been a, a solo uh, bidding game available. So we're, we're the first and we're the most fun. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And of course, you know, as uh, we've been talking and Mike talked about earlier, I mean, if you like that Dungeon Keeper, Dungeon Lords aspect in thematics, but you want to look at it in a fast, quick card game this is a game you want to look at when it hits kickstarter yeah and oh man i mean you got to see uh I, I guess by the time this airs you'll be able to see it the uh, the art that rob uh, lundy who did a uh, dungeon roll and some, some other projects uh man it's just it's fantastic it's better than anything i could have imagined it's <laughs> well i mean you, you guys can go see it once uh you're listening to this but uh it's great all right you know before we wrap up uh i want to make sure i give you a chance to one is there anything that you would like to make sure that we covered that we haven't no uh pl please check out dark dealings and keep listening to all us geeks and, and go support <laughs> them on patreon they rock well, thank you for that. Uh, this, this is this is about you. Today is about you, Mike. 
<laughs> well, you know, I, 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 I trust I trust that fate will take care of both of us. You know? <laughs> and then, of course, if people are interested in following along with what you're working on and that stuff, uh, how can people uh, find you on the internets? Sure. You can follow us uh, at MVP Board Games at uh, Twitter. Peter is very active on there. We have a bunch of followers over there. Um, if you'd like to be on our game mailing list, uh, you can shoot us a note on the Kickstarter or um, send an email to mvpboardgames at gmail.com. We can add you to our uh, mailing list whenever we uh, have new stuff coming out. Besides that, I, I, P- Peter has like a design blog he does, but I forget the web address, but I, I can give that to anybody if they uh, want to ask about it. So we don't we don't have a, a web page itself yet. It's mainly Twitter, email, and our games from our publishers. That's the, the best way to find us. Okay. So uh, again, in the show notes, I will have a link to the Kickstarter. And of course, I will have a link over to uh, their Twitter account as well. So Thank definitely you. check out the show notes if you want to connect with these guys and check out what MVP Games is working on. So, MVP board games, Jeff. Board M- games. MVP board games. Sorry. We, 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 we don't do video games yet. That's, <laughs> that's in the future, maybe. <laughs> there you go. I think, uh, that is going to, you know, time goes quick when we're having awesome yeah, conversations. No, you know, I, I think you're my friend now, Jeff. So, <laughs> well, that's, that's good to know, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right. So dark dealings. Once again, again, MVP board games. It's going to be coming out from nevermore games. It's going to be on Kickstarter starting June 12th, 2015. Definitely go check it out. Again, show notes if you're not sure how to get a hold of it, but just go on over and search for Dark Dealings. And again, we're talking about a fast one to six player card game that has that nice Dungeon Keeper, Dungeon Lords thematic feel. And it's, it's a very quick game to play. So if that sounds like it's up your alley, Head on over to the Kickstarter, check out the video, check out whatever else they're they're showing off on the page, and if it is up your alley, make sure you back it. Thank you. All right, Mike, thank you very much for hanging out with me tonight, man. Thank you, Jeff. It's been great. (laughs) It's been awesome. Uh, All right, everybody, thank you very much. That is the end of another interview, and of course, I will be back with more people very soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you for checking out a United Geeks Network family member. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other online media with a geek culture slant, head over to unitedgeeksnetwork.com where you will find Rolling Dice and Taking Names, a podcast by guys who have a passion for tabletop games and happen to have mics. They discuss all forms of tabletop gaming from board games to miniatures to RPGs. The United Geeks Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at unitedgeeksnetwork.com.